0: Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business, navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Lauren Fondos, who is the founder and CEO of Forte, which you can find at Forte.fit. And Forte streams live and on-demand boutique fitness classes from the hottest studios worldwide directly to you. They install hardware and software into these boutique studios, which enables them to then stream these classes live on their Forte platform. Lauren is a former Wall Street trader turned entrepreneur, and in this episode, we discuss all things Forte, including how she came up with the idea for the company, the whole fundraising process, acquiring customers, partnerships with gyms and fitness studios, and even going into details of how Lauren manages her time day to day and the realities of being an entrepreneur. Of course, the show notes are at discogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast. It takes all of one minute or so. And without further ado, here is Lauren Fondos, the founder and CEO of Forte. Lauren, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, how you doing?
0: Doing well and happy to have you on here Uh talk all about Forte. And just for people who haven't heard of it yet, what exactly is Forte?
1: Yeah. So Forte is a live and on-demand fitness subscription streaming service. And we're actually a tech a tech company. So we've built hardware and software that we install in boutique fitness studios, which enables them to live stream their classes. So they can choose to live stream either to our marketplace subscription, where then users have access to unlimited classes from all different types of studios around the country, or studios can choose to use our SaaS white label solution. So they can then have a digital platform, which we integrate directly into their website and app. So that's kind of, that's the Adjust.
0: That's awesome. And there's so much to dig into with that because hardware yeah. and software, mm-hmm. the fitness industry, you know, lots about that. Where we want to start with next is just how did this actually get started in the first place?
1: Yeah, so I I was an athlete my entire life and working out has been a big part of my life. I actually started, um, I used to work on Wall Street prior to this and I started to feel like I was losing my sense of self and I didn't have time to work out. So I would work out before I would meet my customers and they were wondering where I would go and I would go out before dinner. And so I was like, I'm working out, I need to work out, there's no time. And so I started <laughs> to get really into studios because I would find classes around where I was going to dinner with clients. And then I realized that I really love studios. I, I thought like, you know, they weren't for me and I can run on my own. And then I realized, wow, they've really done a great thing. And, and the studios really just focus on doing one thing really well, as opposed to like your sort of traditional gym where, you know, there's a room that may teach a lot of classes in it or it's just sort of like, a, you know, a bunch of equipment. And so I really started to realize that classes were awesome. And so I started to take my customers to work out with me, started getting really into the studio scene. And then I live next to Peloton. And so I went there and saw <laughs> what they were doing. And I was like, this is really interesting, but nobody's in here. Obviously, it's much different today. And they've done an incredible job building the company. But when they started, nobody knew what it was. And they didn't have a community. They didn't have tons of locations. So I was like, we should be able to give or do something like this with studios that have this really tight knit community. So I started talking to the studios, which I had become close to. And I was like, hey, would you want to stream your glasses and some of them were like you know, no, people are going to copy us. And I had the first ideas that I was like, listen, if you have this mentality, you're going to be like Blockbuster and Barnes and Nobles and kicking yourself, you know, and then they're they're iterating when you saw it happening slowly. But some of them got in, they were like, yeah, when do we do this? Like, when does it start? So so then I just kind of ignored it and I'd go back there and they're like, when are we going to start the streaming thing you said? I was like, oh, I have no idea how to do this. I just like was spitballing an idea here. So before I got at work, I was like, this is going to happen, and I know this is gonna, the market's going to transform this way. And I'm just going to tell a sad story that I didn't own or invent this company that I'm that I tell everybody was my idea. I was like, I need to just like get moving on this. I I was certain that this was going to happen, and so yeah, at that point I decided to leave my job, which was really great and stable, and figure out how to how to build this company.
0: Yeah, and then getting to that point of leaving your job because a lot of people have a side hustle or they have an idea for something. De- deciding when, like when is the right time? How did you get to that point of like, okay, now I'm going to start this. I'm going to go out all in.
1: Yeah, I would be at work and I would be like trading and they'd be like, you bought 500 million two-year notes. And I would be like, I'm in a meeting for my company. They're like, what's your company's name? I'm like, I don't know. But I knew something <laughs> started to happen. I would work on it at night and I would work on it, you know, then get to, I was getting distracted at work. And ultimately, once I started to take it really seriously and build a team of engineers and all of that stuff – we you know i i we needed to raise money and i couldn't raise money for a company that i worked on you know 20 hours a week just who would invest in it right. that. so that's really where i was like the only way to really to take this like sort of pet hobby and make it something really real and big was really to commit to it and obviously being the leader of the team at this point, you know I had to be the first one to do that, right? I wasn't going to say, "Hey, you guys quit your jobs, but I'll keep working." And so, you know, I knew that I had to sort of set the tone and then really be able to raise money to enable the people that I had been uh, working on it with to do the same.
0: Yeah, and those people you had convinced before you even had fundraising or anything like that. I mean, how did you convince them to join, and what did you look for initially in like which people you want to hire, what roles exactly?
1: Yeah, so I, I set out to build a pretty technical product, and I really uh, am not an engineer. I'm good at computers at my office around 55 year olds, but I'm pretty techy in that regard, but not enough to code a platform that I described. And so, yeah, I went on my LinkedIn and I type in tech, and I'm like, oh, wow, I only know traders. Like, I don't know anybody in tech. <laughs> and so, I was then just trying to figure out what to do. And so, my brother's best friend from his childhood, was in the tech world so fortunately I reconnected with him and he was pivotal then in obviously joining the company and helping me to navigate and I found a couple sort of entrepreneurial like women's groups and tech groups that I really just started diving into these events and and immersing myself in the language, the community, the people that are involved in these type of companies and, and really started poking around and just kind of trying to find people that, you know, were engineers. And, and now that could be, you know, now if you asked me to do that, there'd be an easy task. But at the time it was really, you know, confusing to understand who to trust, what, what you need. And so I really started with my own network of people and my family members, people that I knew that knew other engineers and, and kind of built, built it from there.
0: Yeah. And having this idea and seeing this opportunity in the market, knowing that this needs, needs to happen. I mean, what exactly was that vision of like what this was going to be? And how did you portray that then to those to those engineers? Because a lot of times, you know, with working with tech talent, they have a lot of options <laughs> and they can yeah. do different things. And it's like, how do you convince them? Like, what was it about your idea that that helped convince them?
1: I think they, our product is pretty technical. So I think they like the kind of sexiness of the challenge to build it. It wasn't yeah. just like building a mobile app that, you know, served a booking function or sort of a simple function. So I think they really like the complexity of the task. And, and, you know, because I'm not technical, I was like, okay, so this is what I wanted to do. Like, I don't know how this would work, but this is what I wanted to do. And they'd be like, <laughs> oh, that doesn't work, Lauren. I'm like, no, no, no. I know it can. My phone takes good videos. Like I know it can be done. I just don't know how. And so they would come back to me and be like, well, this is what it is. And I'm like, no, that's not what I want it to be like. And because I didn't understand a lot of things, I kept pushing them to a place where we got to this sort of beautiful end result where even they were out of their comfort zone. So that was a pretty fun experience because, yeah, I was demanding things that I I didn't know how they would work, but it pushed them and, and all of us to kind of get to this really creative place where our our technical product in terms of live streaming currently has no competition for the solution so really pretty unique um, place that we got in because I knew the customer and I knew knew that the product that we were developing had to be very simple for them to use. I had to be able to use it. And, you know, oftentimes a lot of engineers, you know, when they talk to the client, they're like, you know, like they should know what they know kind of thing. (laughs) And I was (laughs) like, it really has to be simple. And so we really built this sort of beautiful product from, you know, me being so naive and them being so, you know, eager to build something really that has a lot of infrastructure that's super unique.
0: Yeah. And then you mentioned the fundraising side of things going full time so you could actually raise funds, which makes it obviously way easier. I mean, how far along were you before you ended up like actively fundraising?
1: Yeah. So we started to kind of work on the architecture and figure out if this was possible and how it would work um, and and stuff like that. I initially was self-funded out of the gate um, because I didn't know where to get money or how to raise money and how to even ask for it or how that works. Yeah um but then when i left my job my bosses invested which which felt great um so that was a nice vote of confidence on their end and and um then i had a little bit of a nest egg to sort of start you know doing a little more research with the guys and figuring out how to build this um but then they you know they obviously couldn't leave their jobs at that point it wasn't enough to do that so then that's really how we started um, yeah setting out to raise money it started initially obviously with friends and family and then as I got more immersed in the um kind of scene then I you know discovered all the angel groups that are out there and stuff like that and so you know obviously it's like anything else once you start to find, you know, once we got one group involved, then like three more pile on. And it's like (laughs) getting the first one obviously is the hardest, right? So that's like, you know, it's like once you have it all sorted out, of course, everybody wants to get in. So it is really difficult trying to build that. You know, I think that the most interesting thing with fundraising is that you need to build a sense of urgency or a reason why they need to do something now as opposed to waiting and watching what you're doing. And so I think that that was something I learned along the way that you know they have no urgency to do it because as a, as a tech company you'll probably always need money <laughs> and so yep you know like how do you create that urgency like for us you know there were different very vari- variables at at different times that we were able to use like we're launching the product right so launch date of the actual thing paying customers is a different conversation than sort of this pre revenue type of conversation so there were these different junctures where where we were able to create a much more powerful story as opposed to sort of just you know the story of we're building something incredible get involved you know and everyone's just kind of <laughs> <leaving>. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and then with the fundraising too. I, I mean, what were you looking? Were, were there specific things you're looking for from these investors? I mean, obviously, a certain amount of money potentially, but um, were there certain things you're looking for from the investors and strategic investors? You're looking for, like, what were you kind of searching for on the on that side of things?
1: I think at first we were just looking for money to get going, and obviously, the people that are going to give you money are the people that love you and know you and trust you in the beginning. Oh yeah. <laughs> Unless you've built and sold ten companies before, you know, obviously that's a different story. You can go out and raise a huge round right out of the gate. But I think in the beginning it's that. And then just continuing to, you know, go back to those investors and and show them that you did the things you said you were gonna do. Um, I think that that's, you know, that was the way to build that credibility along the way. But like I said, angel networks were great because angels are awesome people that have done very well, and we're very good at what they did. And so, you know, they also have big networks and get really excited about it, and and can make quicker decisions. We did get also some funds involved as well, and and so um, th- they had actually reached out to us. So that was a that was a great part of the process. And now we're sort of going into another um, institutional raise where we're in like kind of a weird place again, where. We're too early for one, but you know we want to get. (laughs) You know, it's it's always this uh, kind of never-ending battle, right? You have to choose between, you know, you're always giving up something. You're right, you're giving up a part of your company and how urgent, you know, how long can you make this money stretch until the next juncture? Or is, is somebody out there going to beat you? And is it better to just take it quickly? And those are always decisions that you have to make. And if you give money to institutions, you know, you have to give up either maybe a little bit on the evaluation or a little bit on the control side. And you're never going to really get both things unless you're like totally destroying it and, you know, in real <laughs> power position. But for the most part, if you need money, they're in the power position regardless. And so, Yeah, just finding that balance along the way and trying to make the most savvy decisions that you can, right? Because there's a lot of horror stories for sure. (laughs) <laughs> yeah
0: and it's gotta be difficult because obviously you have like you said like limited competition so you have a first mover advantage now yep. so it, the temptation to grow at all costs is like you know get more funds i'm sure it's there but again totally. looking at but the trade-offs it's, of it's, everything
1: we can yeah get to like we see this big we, we're at another revenue we, we believe we're at another juncture where our revenue is really going to kick up and it's like you know that'll be a much different conversation if we can wait the six months but is it worth waiting the six months so these are like you know kind of ongoing uh yeah constant constant battles to think about with these,
0: yeah interesting yeah oh yeah and one thing i want to go back to uh quickly so when, when you're developing the product in, in the first place you have, obviously you have engineers and your team are around you you have a vision for what you want it to be how are you incorporating user feedback customer feedback potential customer uh, feedback to to develop this actual product
1: yeah, so we did this great um program with General Assembly where basically if you're are you familiar with them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so they basically the students that are taking some type of course will work on your product for free. So we did that. Perfect. So that was awesome. So so they basically called all these people, asked them what they thought about this, what experience they would want, how they would use the product. So that was really really helpful because that was a quite a time consuming process and and you know, nobody wants to do those type of things, even though they're very, very, part yeah. of the process. And so, so that was really instrumental in helping us kind of get that feedback and start to build a framework for what we thought. Obviously, the digital space now is becoming pretty robust, but when we started, it wasn't as robust. So there was a lot of um, things we had to sort of figure out how the user would use products and, and how that would work. So that was really instrumental for us in figuring it out. And then obviously testing it ourselves and, you know, doing that was a big part of, of the process as well. I'm a yeah. And I heard the, the Yes, yeah, I, I, use the product though, like I, I live and breathe my product. So, <laughs> so that's helpful. Like I'm not building something that I see a big financial opportunity. And obviously I hope that this is, but, um, I am a diehard user of the space. So I feel like that's also sort of my superpower is that I am in this gyms and studios listening to everybody like, Oh my God, I wish I could totally do this. And so, so that's something I've been sort of noting always in the back of my head and taking, literally, I have notes. I write down things every time I think of them or hear something in a in a class or whatever that people are saying they wish they could do kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And with that company too, I mean, when you launched, like what was the lead up to the actual launch and getting it in the hands of people once you had a live platform? Like what was that process like?
1: yeah we had a lot of beta testers so so that was helpful in the initial launch and then because we're we're b2b to c so we partner with studios like you know a spinning a spin studio or a bar studio and then we market to the consumer and we rev share with the studio. The studios are are part of our marketing process. So that was helpful because they're real businesses with communities and trainers that promote stuff. And so we had that, which is a little bit unique as to some products are just something totally new. They need to get the word out kind of thing. So we did have a pretty a pretty big network just through all the studios the locations they have the trainers so that was that was pretty instrumental it was our our users came 60% through organic nature and 40% through codes associated to our partners so the organic nature the cool part of our product is the people are really in the classes so the people are part of the product so. <laughs> So there is that and obviously, let's say, you know, you go to your favorite gym and you talk about it constantly and, and now you can kind of share it. So there is a real network effect to that part of the of the company, which was which was pretty effective. We've never actually spent money on customer acquisition to this point. So so it's been um, yeah, it's been pretty effective for us being able to either market through the partners that we have and or through just word of mouth because people are a part of the experience.
0: Yeah. And it's obviously such a, it's just a smart strategy because like, oh yeah, we partner with these gyms and then we all instantly have that, that ability to get the word out through them. And then yeah. they know people too. So it kind of grows through that. But uh, with that too, I mean, how are you deciding like which gyms, which studios to partner with in the first place?
1: Yeah. So initially we thought we'd scale into every studio out there. And then we realized if there was a thousand yoga studios, you'd log on and never do a workout and that wouldn't be productive. (laughs) You would just waste your time flicking around. And so we realized that the marketplace sort of needed to have a curated approach. So basically like in bar spinning running boxing hit you know all the main categories we'll have a couple in each category that kind of cater to the different personality types so you know a traditional yoga and then a very non-traditional or you know different types of music or sort of that caters to different personalities but not having just redundant a million spin classes so they would be ones that had to be different from from the others and as trends change and evolve then we'll bring on new partners and you know and that happens pretty quickly in fitness and so in the marketplace we'll try to keep basically the best 50 places wherever they may be from as that evolves but what happened was then we realized we have over a thousand gyms that have reached out to us that want to stream because now everybody wants to have a digital, you know, presence. And so we were saying no, but that's when it became really evident and we're launching this in the next month to offer basically a white label branded experience. And we did that for two reasons. One because not if we had every class on our platform, it would just be like a YouTube and you'd just be a never ending, you know, vortex of content And (laughs) because um, the biggest brands in the business, they don't want to be a part of a marketplace. They want their own app, their own platform, and so we would lose that business. And so we realized that we needed to also do a white label product because the gyms now currently, if you want to live stream, you can build a TV production studio like Peloton or most of them then just do on-demand video, or you can use Instagram live, but obviously you're not monetizing that. And so most of them just do on-demand video where they'll record it like with a camera crew and then they put it and they upload it to the site. And so they don't do live because they don't know how to. And so you can live stream and obviously host it on Amazon Web Services, Azure, Vimeo, YouTube any of those can support a live feed but the problem is how do you shoot the live feed and so that's sort of the technical solution that we saw that's end-to-end so nobody does it because they don't know how and so we have that solution and we were withholding it because we wanted the marketplace to be because I believe the user wants a marketplace the user wants a place that they can log in and have access to everything but some of the big brands don't want that so rather than fighting it we have chosen to yeah take advantage of the opportunity that um, yeah, our tech is still still a rarity at this point.
0: Yeah, and with that white label, you said people don't you know people don't want to do it themselves. It is challenging. I mean, how have you overcome the challenge yourselves to kind of have that ability then in house? to do this? I mean, what are some of the challenges with that and how have you kind of overcome that?
1: Yeah, so basically from the tech perspective, we hardwire three to five cameras in a studio walls. We put a server there on site. So let's say the class was going to start at 12 o'clock. The automation then would turn on all five cameras, rotate around for that specific class at that time and then shut itself off at the end of class. So that automation we call our Autobot. It live produces classes all day, every day with no human operators and they're all streamed live and then available on demand. So that computer, that server that we put there with the script on it is basically the producer. So instead of having you know somebody moving the dials around, you know, up for somebody's mic and whatever, it's all <laughs> autom- it's all automated. And and it's not like we know what the classes are going to be. It's not like it's a free for all. You know, they always start and stop at the same time. And the warm up, it's always the same sequence of events. So we can automate the camera production as opposed to having to have a production crew in there, which is what most people do. And and i always say it's like we're not filming a blockbuster movie where somebody's running on a car and you know rolling over the whole <laughs> it's like a person right. on a spin bike that's glued to a spin bike all of us are glued to our spin bikes nobody's moving It's a yeah. it's different and so people have used a camera crew because that's what people have done in the past but but it doesn't need to be that way. And so I think but they also want to have a high quality. And so that's how we were able to sort of, yeah, build this this custom automation that that works. And it's really cool actually. The the technology is applicable to so many things. I can't tell you how many like churches reach out to us and sports kids' sports facilities and because people want to live stream. They just don't know how to do it, you know, in a high quality way. And so so it's the tech is 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 more prolific than I, I guess I felt like I had anticipated when we set out to build it
0: yeah and then having that capability then and understanding that now with what you've done what you've built and having people reach out to you for for that i mean how do you look at opportunities for growth saying no to something saying yes to other things how do you how do you view that
1: yeah, I mean, obviously, there's yeah we like we get so many weird opportunities like that. And <laughs> I just talked to Pastor Brad the other day. I'm like, I don't know, I engage because it's it's interesting to see what's out there. But obviously, we do need to remain focused. We do need to do one thing really well. I think, sort of, in our grandiose vision, that's the future. But in the short term, obviously, fitness is where we really focus. So now you definitely need to stay focused. Um, and you know, with limited resources, you want to make sure you're doing one thing really well um so we're definitely staying focused but it's also important to entertain you know all those things and you know you never you don't always end up where you thought you would end up so it's definitely important to you know check out all the opportunities i think that arise
0: yeah and one thing too going back to that white label thing as well with that you could work with in theory anyone i mean with that type of process and going anywhere in the world in the country I mean, how are you viewing that that opportunity? Is it more of an inbound situation where they're coming to you and you, oh, you can provide this service? Are you actively pursuing certain uh, certain studios or gyms or anything yep. like? How are you viewing that?
1: Yeah, salespeople always pitch us. I'm like, we don't need a salesperson. We need like a lot of engineers, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we don't need salespeople. So they reach out to us because we're the only person that can currently do what we can do. So so that's been exciting. I mean, to to speak to the CEO of all the biggest gyms out there has been you know, really exciting. I wake up sometimes and go to a meeting and realize like, wow, this is a really cool opportunity that we have their attention and that this is what, after all the research that they have chosen to talk to us because, you know, this is the option. So that, that feels really exciting. You know, every day feels sometimes like a slog and, you know, you're (laughs) working and working and working and missing birthday parties and missing things with friends and family. And, and, you know, those opportunities actually kind of you know are a reminder of that you know this is this is really something and this has been a really exciting journey and obviously the yet the beginning is is just you know still still here
0: yeah uh, there's so much you're gonna do i can i can see that even when i you first reached out and like uh looking at looking at the company i was like oh my gosh this is this is gonna be huge and just seeing where fitness is going and being held fitness in the past myself as well i can see obviously the need and uh, one thing i want to go back to is as well looking at looking at the company Pricing. So pricing plays a huge part in any company and your whole business model can be around the pricing of the company. What was kind of the initial price um, and business model around price and then how has that kind of evolved over time?
1: Yeah. So for, so we're B2B to C. So from the B2B side, we initially thought we would just give the hardware and the tech to the studios for free. And then we realized that if they don't pay for it, their sense of urgency and attention to it is not the same. So even if we had, you know, as much money as Amazon, which I wish we did, <laughs> um, you know, they they it's important that the, that the um, B2B side customer pays for it. So they value it and they treat it differently. And so, so that was a change that we made along the way um, because we thought we would give it to them for free because it was a means to us getting the content. But it was important that they pay. So I think that was interesting from a price change from the, that perspective. And then in terms of the consumer, we, you know, we looked at sort of where the market prices are. We um, we have a high monthly price and a low annual price because we did want to drive people into the annual pricing to give ourselves time to really ramp the product up, right? Because you know, we didn't want somebody to have a bad experience within the first month and, and quit. And so, you know, as a startup, that was important to us. Um, that, those prices will always be evolving. And then in terms of the white label pricing, we have um, set it up basically in three buckets. So we charge them instead of us can, uh, collecting the revenue from the customer, they do, and then they would pay us for the tech infrastructure. So we basically charge them like a thousand dollars a month for the servers and databases, $8 per live stream. Cause there's a cost when you do mobile encoding, that's real. And then one to two cents per minute. We're hoping to further simplify those costs because they get overwhelmed with the, the, knowing that they're paying <laughs> for databases. It's like scary, but if 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 you actually saw the cost sheet that comes to us from Azure, it's much more complicated than that. <laughs> <laughs> but we tried to boil it down, but ultimately we were we had to be cautious because it, live streaming is not as simple as on demand video. Like if, if if everyone accesses a live stream simultaneously during the live time, the cost of that is different than accessing an on demand video. So there are these sort of these unforeseeable circumstances that. We have enough data to base these prices off of, but but not enough to be sure. And so, in the perfect world, we'd like to tell the customer and the white label that it's five dollars per customer, and then you can charge ten and you make five, or whatever it may be. But until we have enough data, we don't want to do that because we don't want to end up in a case where somebody really succeeds and we owe Microsoft one hundred thousand dollars for, you know, for their streaming and stuff like that. So. It's. A, I think it's always an evolution, and obviously we're we're really transparent to the customers about a lot of that. I think transparency is really important. Um, you know, I think like ClassPass and some others had to double their prices and change their models, and. And we've set the we've set the expectation that this is temporary. We're learning. We hope to make this cheaper for you uh, as we go right. along. But but and you know but but we don't know. And 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 obviously there's a lot of issues around music licensing and the costs associated with that are also still a big. Um, evolution and being figured out because, you know, those laws were written for sort of uh, music being played to an audience in a room and have nothing to do with streaming on the internet. So they're not applicable. And so there's, there's also those costs that are always moving. And so we try to be really transparent about why they are what they are and and where they could go. Because I think nowadays the customer, the customer sort of demands that.
0: Yeah, and as Forte has grown too, I mean, offering this white label solution has just growing to different studios and everything. I mean, how have you grown the team along the way as well to support everything you're doing?
1: Yeah, so the team we, we're primarily engineers because it's pretty technical product, um, and you know, in the in the sort of leaner times of the company, I've kept the engineers because I can't code and I can't do that, um, and right. so I've put a lot of strain on myself doing a zillion different things, and but it's important to yeah, weigh that balance when you need somebody else to come and do those things because obviously, you know, you can't do everything yourself. So, um, yeah, we've been growing the team. And again, it's been primarily engineers to to scale up certain parts of the product. Um, and we've been doing it sort of through word of mouth and also now, you know, getting out to a lot of events and and meeting a lot of people that reach out and and. Um, yeah, when you see sort of a diamond in the rough kind of taking them on, even if it's not the right time, you know, in some cases, um, <laughs> because, you know, you just don't, those people are great people that are going to go somewhere else. So yeah, finding that balance between, um, yeah, you know, there's definitely people I've lost along the way too, because we couldn't, you know, support bringing them on full time at, at a certain point. So yeah, deciding when to take that risk. And as the founders deciding when to forego my own salary to do that and, and, you know, Definitely, it's a, it's always a yeah a balancing act in the beginning for sure, and and deciding when I, when to actually start paying myself, which I didn't for a very long time, you know, because once you're then stressed every day because of other things, it doesn't help the cause for the company. But you know, I just kept trying to scale the company up, and yeah, deciding those things is also yeah a big decision as a founder.
0: Yeah, and one of the things you mentioned earlier as well, you haven't had to do any customer acquisition, really. You haven't had to pay for customer acquisition because of you know working with the studios and kind of naturally have that. I mean, do you see that evolving and changing anytime soon to, to ramp up, or how do you for kind of sure. view that side of things?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we've tested we've tested Facebook ads, and we can acquire a paying customer for around four dollars, which is great. If that probably as that as we scale and reach a bigger audience, even if it doubles the return on investment, there is pretty good. So we certainly will do. Um, traditional customer acquisition for the marketplace. And in, in the white label model, we won't pay for that, but we will help the studios do that because the faster they get customers, the more we make money. So it will be relevant right. in, in both models. So that'll sort of be the next, in our next fundraise, that will be uh, a pretty big, significant portion of our funding will will be allocated to that. So uh, it's pretty funny. Every startup put, says that they're raising money to do, you know, Facebook ads and Google keywords. I'm like, every every dollar <laughs> is going into Facebook and Google. So yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, it's funny hearing that because like I've read that too, and you see things. You're like, yeah, literally when you fundraise, it's like so much of that just going to user growth, literally and, like, I mean, Yeah, that's people. everything.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's that's insane. Yeah. And and Lauren, what have been some of the biggest challenges of growing Forte over the years?
1: Yeah, I think when we started, we were pretty early. I think the 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 consumers weren't totally there yet and and the studios definitely weren't there yet. Um Peloton has been a done a great service for us because it's really educated the consumer, like, oh, I could take this class at home and the bike and they have a studio. And like that messaging that they've spent the billion dollars on has been really helpful for people to understand the concept um so it's yeah. been really great for us and then you know um when we started the studios were really they you know they thought people would copy them they thought that people would not come to the studios anymore and and i would be like listen football's on tv people don't say eh, i won't ever go to a football game because i can watch it on tv or people aren't like oh beyonce's on spotify so well i don't want to go to her because <laughs> i could just listen to her anyway like i was like people right. It's it's actually the opposite. It it drives people in there. They're they're dying to go. They're selling out the concert because people are dying to see it. But but that was sort of the logic that they had. So, you know, I didn't have data to prove that this wouldn't happen. But just from like thinking about it from other industries, I'm like that. I don't think that's going to happen. And so, you know, really getting them comfortable with the idea. I think that was the that was. Um, really challenging. I would have to literally sit there and threaten them. I was like, listen, Blockbuster had all these locations. <laughs> they didn't want to close down their locations because they had these leases and they just watched Netflix get built. They could have built Netflix themselves, but they were they were too stubborn and focused on their brick and mortar business. They just didn't adjust. And I would have to threaten them that this was happening. So that's great. Now the market is like, I need to do this like yesterday. I'm like, thank the Lord. So so that, <laughs> that's been really like fun to see. And then the consumer obviously it's also now totally gets it right. Like obviously wireless headphones, you know, being able to cast your phone to your TV, all this new technology stuff has really enhanced the ability for people to do this. And so, and obviously just even having good wifi in your gym gives you the ability to stream. Some gyms, you know, don't even have good internet. So, so that all that stuff has really changed and helped. And then I think fundraising obviously is a really challenging process. It's, it's pretty soul sucking. <laughs> um, yeah. it's, it's very time intensive. You know, I feel like my team will reach out and I'm like, I can't talk. I'm, you know, doing investor emails and meetings. And so it's really time consuming. I think that's been, um, yeah, definitely a hard part of the process. And also, I guess being a, a female, I didn't really realize I was so oppressed until I started doing this. <laughs> um, you know, and people definitely have said things that I'm like, wow, I'm sitting right here. Like, you know, like, like, who's the numbers guy? I was like, I worked on Wall Street for a decade and crushed yeah. it. Like, right. I don't know why. Yeah. Like, or who's, you know, and earlier, like, can she run this company? Like once it gets big enough, I'm like, she is sitting right here, <laughs> you know, like, Goodness. so like, and I, I'm like, I've succeeded to the highest level at everything I've ever done in my life. Like, I was an all American athlete. Like, I'm like, I don't understand where, you know, why you're not thinking I can do this. So so that was definitely I know it's a real thing but but you know I I was kind of surprised. I think it's like 1% of female founded only companies get funded and then it's like I think 1 to 10 with a male female and 90% male only. So so that was like yeah, I think pretty pretty frustrating to to live it and to really realize that in my old job, you know, it was if you made money, if as a trader, if you were making money, you know, then you made more than other people and sort of it wasn't like Nobody can kind of say, oh, well, you know, how'd she do that? It was just everyone had the same parameters. So people respected you if you had a good month. And and in this case, it's more like, well, it's, you know, can they do it or, you know, and so, so that was that was pretty challenging and eye opening to see. And and uh, yeah, that was a I wasn't ready for that. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, how have you, how have you handled that? Cause obviously you said you weren't ready for that. You didn't really necessarily expect that or no, you know, didn't know you was and, uh, oppressed yeah. until this happened. Like, I, I mean, like, how did you, yeah. how have you managed that?
1: I guess, you know, now there's, there's more funds out there that obviously are focused on, you know, trying to change that. And a lot of the, it's been a lot of, you know, uh, female founding companies that have hit the billion dollar mark. So I think their eyes are more open and there are some people trying to change that, but, I also am trying to combat that by getting a guy that looks exact the opposite of me that you know went to an Ivy League school that worked in private equity that you know fits the boxes and matches them because i'm I'm no dummy and I know that 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 does make give them that sort of sense of security so sure. as, you know as, as as it is what it is that's the reality it's like you know this has been per- people's perceptions have been built over a long period of time and I'm not here to sit and waste time changing it. So so that's something I've done, um, which, you know, I, I, and the irony is the user of the spaces is, is me. And the questions that some of these people ask are so ill-informed because they don't even work out in many cases. Or they, like, a lot of times they'll say, well, can you talk to my wife? She works out really hard. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, that
0: oh, you goodness. want to invest
1: all this money in something that you don't know about. You don't trust me to... To you, you want your wife knows about it and I know about it, but you don't really trust either of us to build this company. Like the whole thing has been, yeah, it's been an interesting process. And obviously, hopefully, one day I can be in a place to, yeah, change it and and make it more equal as well.
0: Well, of course. And then once you know, Forte hits the unicorn status and people are like, oh, wait,
1: what's going
0: on? What's what's going on here? Um, um, One thing too, which is a a smaller, completely different thing, but with Forte, where does the name come from?
1: Yeah. So Forte means strong in Albanian, which is where my parents are from. You know, when you start a company, you need to get, make a name. And, and I was like, listen, I was sitting there and I work and I was like, if I think about this name for a year and don't start the company, then, then it doesn't matter what the name, how good the name is. So I was just sitting there. I was like thinking about like, yeah, I, I, first I looked up like greek gods of like sports and whatever and i was like oh Nike. i was like i didn't realize that was nike i was like yep so that's taken (laughs) because i was trying to do sort of an homage to my parents or and so and forte is strong and you know forte in spanish and italian and and so yeah it kind of is in a lot of languages i figured that was a good that was a good name.
0: <laughs> how did how long did that take to figure out? I'm just curious.
1: I literally sat there on my trading desk and I wrote down a bunch of names and I called my parents and I asked them what they thought. And I just would say the names to the guys and they'd be like, that sounds like a sports drink. That sounds like, you know, like, <laughs> okay. That's like a, their reactions are, I was like, okay, they quickly checking them off the list. And everyone was like, wow, that's a, that's a cool name. Then I, then I finally settled on it. And I called the lawyers. They're like, there's no way you can get that trademark. That's a word. There's no way. I was like, well, let's try. They're like, you know, they're the, I'm like, what are the odds? The lawyers like never like to tell you like the odds of what happens. They just like to be safe. And so they're like, oh, I don't know, it's, but it's never going to get trademarked. And so I'm like, let's just do it. And we did it. And we and then I got a letter in the mail from the filing that it was accepted. So that was that's awesome. Yeah. So and, it was-
0: and it's also it's also crazy just to think about the name because like I mean, some people who I've talked to, they've taken months, months and months and months to figure out a name for their company. And it's just such a wide spectrum of like a, a few minutes, maybe or a day or so to literally months or a year to figure out the name, and then they change it, and it's like that's just I don't know. It's the realities of it sometimes. Totally. But, uh, I
1: was just like, if I don't, I was like, it just I need the baby needs a name, and if I make that <laughs> when no and no company, the name is just the name, and so I was like, I gotta get this moving and. And I felt pretty good about it. And I was like, all right, this is... And and, and it means so much to me. And obviously, I'm so grateful for my parents and their support. And so I was like, this is... Yeah, this is it. And everyone's reaction was, was good. So I was like, all right, this is where we're going.
0: That's perfect. And with Forte, too, what is kind of the vision for the company moving forward?
1: Yeah, so we're really excited. We're launching the white label platform basically in the next 30 to 60 days. So I'm really excited to see that. I think that for us is it may be our bigger revenue driver. I think the the fitness space now is starting to get crazy and, and there's so many things popping up. And, and so in the white label model, you know, I can rest a little easier because I'm more of the arms dealer, you know, to powering brands to have digital, as opposed to having to worry about what gets you know created every day. And so right. I think for us, that's really exciting. So, you know, I'm really excited to see how that, how that, you know, compares and ultimately, our goal is to be able to operate both and, and, and do both simultaneously. And so, and then, you know, in the bigger vision, hopefully be able to expand into other areas that make sense and, and, you know, like comedy clubs or, you know, anything that would, what would be awesome to be able to watch and be a part of remotely. I think the the, the thing that people forget is, you know, mo- two things. One, most people in America don't work out. There's like 260 million people. that Yeah. <laughs> And like streaming is the ideal entry point for those people. Like my brother like works out with Forte because he's my brother and he loves me and he's being supportive and testing it for me. And now he actually goes to studio classes and he would have never done that in a million years if he hadn't used the product. And so I do think that there's, this is a conduit to, and, and, and for myself too, like I didn't used to go to a new class without a friend. I don't know. I just was nervous to go with somebody without somebody. And now I'm confident enough, proud to say I can go by myself, but, but like, yeah. it's hard to do, you know, when you go to a place and everybody knows the drill and everybody it's really fit and knows each other. And, and so I think I'm hoping that this will be a means to one giving people access that will never get it because some people don't have a gas station within 20 miles of their house in the middle of the country. And two, Um, making it affordable and accessible and convenient, but also getting those people that just are too intimidated to even step foot in a gym. You know, every time you talk to somebody, I'm like, come work out. They're like, oh, I got to work out. I got to get fit before I can work out with you. Or I got to work out before I go to the <laughs> gym. Or I'm like, no, the whole point of the gym is to get fit. But people, like, that's what they think, that they need to, like, somehow get in shape before they can work out. And so I hope that this will be able to to change that. And there's so many studios that do so many different types of workouts that maybe you don't like running. A lot of people don't like it. But, but there's got to be something that you can do that you'll like that will be good for you.
0: Yeah. And knowing that that's kind of the grand vision and that's what you want what to happen with Forte. I mean, how do you manage your time day to day? And I want to get into details because I kind of am obsessed with these types of things. How do you manage your time day to day?
1: Yeah, I've definitely had to be a little harsher about like, I I like to try to help everybody and I love to help somebody that's new because I want to save them any agony that I can, but it's also there's just so many hours in the day. So I've definitely had to get better at saying no to things and just really focusing on whatever the task is for the week. And if it doesn't support that, I can't do it kind of thing. Uh, So that's been, yeah, hard. And and it it just is what it is. There's so many hours in the day. Um, And then typically, you know, it's tough because I'll take meetings all throughout the day. And so then six o'clock comes and I look at my laptop and it's just full of emails and it's giving me a panic attack. So then I'll just stay up all night basically doing the emails. So so that's difficult, because you know obviously I still need to you know as we scale up, I'll be able to release more and more tasks, and the more I've been able to do that the the better it is um and just being able to do that right and and no, it may not be perfect in my brain, but it's still great, and you know need to kind of relinquish some of that control, so I think that's um yeah, something I've been trying to get better at because I just need it to be done and and there's only so many hours. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and then just diving a little deeper because like I said, I do kind of like this stuff. I mean what, what time does your day start? When does it end? How do you decide when it ends? I'm curious about kind of those uh, logistics as well.
1: Yeah, I've been better. I, I was sleeping basically like 4 hours a night <laughs> for a while. Um, but it was really taking a toll on me, so I've definitely I was staying up I, I was staying up really late to do emails because I couldn't really do them during the day as I said I was taking meetings, so I was, right. it was killing me. And so I was, I was staying up really late, but now I've just tried to get, I used to wait to answer my emails. I was on my laptop and I felt like I could really respond, but now I've been better about just like giving one word answers or, you know, like on my phone, even though I don't love doing that. But, Cause I, but so, so I've been trying to get better at doing that so I can at least sift through more throughout the day to sort of, you know, eradicate some of the night work as best as I can. Um, so that's been important too because my sleep was really taking – I was like my own health was deteriorating more even though we were hopefully making other people's better. Um, yeah, the
0: irony, yes. Yeah, oh.
1: exactly. So now I just have to wake up so early for work like in the fours. <laughs> so now I try not to wake up as early and I'll typically work later. So I try to usually wake up you know, between six and eight depending on how late I kind of go to bed and um, trying to get closer to seven hours as opposed to the four that I was doing for a while just because – yeah I think ultimately I was in a in a haze and just my you know even just the way I respond to people you know when you're tired you're just your patience is thinner and all that yeah, so, yeah definitely felt the need to kind of change that and I also had really let my own working out kind of slip because you know even people are like you must work out so much now I'm like oh well actually I was working out more before this but so um <laughs> trying to kind of make that hour a little bit more standing for myself as well just because. It is, you know, something that kind of keeps me sane. It's how I've, you know, it's, it's really been my kind of meditation or therapy, if you may, you know, throughout my whole life. So, um, yeah, trying to keep that sort of more balanced as well.
0: And when, when does that workout typically take place for you?
1: I I do it at all different times during the day. It's sort of, I usually try to actually make it part of my meeting process with people. So people are like, Hey, can we meet up? I'm like, I'm going to work out. And that's like the only hour I can talk pretty much. It's not, (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I do a lot of that. I'm like, if you want to see me, I will be at Tone House at noon on Monday. <laughs> and so, yeah. yeah, so that that's how I do a lot of that stuff. And I'll move it around towards, um, yeah, trying to meet with somebody or trying to take a meeting somewhere for sure.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's like a smart way to do it, especially it's like it just makes the most sense from a time perspective when you're so busy with with uh, with lots going on. And and one thing too with with this company, I mean, how does your background play a part into how you kind of run this company, operate this company? You mentioned being like like all American, and playing sports, and then also on Wall Street. Like, how did that play a part into how you kind of run and think about this company?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's been really all sports and Wall Street have been really helpful in giving me this sort of crazy drive that that is, you know, and, and and the sort of willingness to work so hard. And, you know, obviously, to get to those levels in sports and stuff, you have to work a 1000 times harder than everybody around you. And so that's instilled in me. But, but the negative to that was, you know on in Wall Street, nobody really cares how you feel. <laughs> you either yeah. do well or you don't, and you're fired and you know you get locked out of the building and nobody tells you why it's it's a much it's a mu- you know somebody's willing to take your seat right and so it's a much different atmosphere than sort of a tech environment where you know there's checkups on your progress and you know there there's not really that type of situation going on in wall street so when i got here you know some of the guys that worked for me had been consultants so they were really used to working with people and companies and new people and and i would get really frustrated you know i would do everything i said i was gonna do and then the girl that worked for me would be like oh i didn't finish that and i was like what do you mean you didn't finish that like i finished every you know and i i had like no um mercy for anybody right like (laughs) no mercy i was like we're not gonna win if we don't like and, and they were like lauren you know one, you know, you're trying to get 110 of out of somebody that doesn't have that necessarily. You know, everybody's ability and threshold to do work and things is different, right? And then so, and and then they were like, Lauren, your option is to fire them and find somebody new and train them and train them which will be expensive and timely, or to just congratulate them, tell them they're doing a good job and really try to, you know, cheer them into becoming a better worker basically. And I was like, those are my choices. Like what? I can't (laughs) believe it. I'm like supposed to tell somebody that they're doing a good job when they're doing 60% of their work. They're like, or you can fire them. So like managing people and that stuff was, was a new experience for me because I came from a world where yeah, if you didn't do something, you were penalized and you ran until you threw up or you were, you know, fired if you didn't, you know, if you didn't meet a certain standard and it wasn't like nobody asked you if you're having a tough month, you know, like emotionally nobody cared. So, so that was, it's helpful in that it gives me this crazy drive and, and, and this work ethic like no other, but it's also been detrimental in that. Yeah. It doesn't work that way in every other world, I guess, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and trying to have that empathy and trying to relate with people who don't have that same drive, especially if it's not their company, like you never right. they're never gonna have the same amount of buy-in as you as the founder, right? right? So it's it's a challenge, I'm sure, to try to manage that as well.
1: Yeah, and then there's these like players, you know, there's the grade A people that we bring on that come in and I barely have to talk to and they're moving mountains and they move mountains before I even tell them there was a problem there. And then there's the people that are like, so now what do I do today? I'm like, how could you ask what, like, there's so many things that need to be done. How are you thinking all your work is done? Literally the pile up, the backlog of work is, is like 10 years (laughs) long at this point. So like, and that would always amaze me, but, but you know, there's different types of people and there's different, you know, and, and some people need different monitoring and, and you know, getting used to that. You know, and as you scale up a company, obviously in the beginning you need those people that are real movers and shakers. But as you get different levels of people or you know experience levels and and personalities, there's different roles that need to be filled. And those high level people are not going to want to do those things. And so, really, just trying to figure out how to, yeah, balance everybody. And ultimately, you know, everybody's goal is to do the best that they can do. And so, figuring out. Like, what's their goal from working here? You know, ultimately, where do they want to go? Or, you know, how, how can we help them get to whatever they really want? Because that's ultimately what's going to keep people happy. So, yeah, realizing that um, it has been definitely challenging and, and interesting and stuff like that. I never was in charge of people before. I was always in charge of myself. And it was, you know, you had the ability to make X amount of, a limited amount of money and you just went for it. Right. So this has been a different experience for me, for sure
0: yeah and and, as an entrepreneur as well, I mean, c- coming into this, you have an idea for forte. you like you see this opportunity, you pursue it H- is it is it what you expected, or is it different? like how tell me about that as well?
1: yeah, I think like no, I had no idea what I was getting myself into <laughs> like I'm like, oh my God, what was I thinking, but obviously, I wouldn't change it for the world. I think what's been really. Cool is, you know, like users will write in and say that we've made their life better and their health is better and their blood pressure dropped. And nobody has told me I made their life better when I worked on Wall Street. So probably making just my own life better. So that's been really amazing. I think if you never take a risk, even if it's not necessarily building a company, but doing, you know, making a change from a job maybe that you to something else that maybe won't pay you as much to start, but. You know, you really I'm grateful because it really opened my eyes to I could never go back to doing the work that I was, even though it was very lucrative. Um, I feel really invigorated building something that's going to make people healthy, make their lives better, you know, and so I would have never discovered that if I never took that risk. Um, but of course, no, what I've gotten myself into is way crazier than I had ever imagined (laughs) that I'm competitive. And to the core, I will not stop until we win the game and I will do whatever it takes to figure out how to get there. And, and I always, you know, I always, it's not easy, right? Like every founder story has the same bit where it's a real black hole for a while and, and it's not easy. And if it was, obviously everyone would do it. And, it's a lot of times it's, you know, sticking it out and, and obviously knowing when to quit too. But but the day-to-day is, you know, there's so many exciting things that happen, but the day-to-day is is tough. And there's, you know, weeks that go by sometimes where it feels like everything is going against you. And it's just like, you know, you just got to keep your head positive and And then, you know, finally you'll get a break on something and be like, okay, there's light again. And then you go into another phase where, you know, it's really big, it's a real difficult, you know, a couple of weeks. And so yeah, I think it's definitely, it's definitely a mental game for sure. And um, yeah, I just, uh, you know, it's, it's not easy, obviously. And it, and and it, I think if you, I think, yeah, if you really want to be involved in a startup, you don't necessarily need to start one, you could go to one and also, you know, be a part of, yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of ways to approach it. It's definitely a big life change. I've given up my life for the last five years, certainly my friends and my family. And you know, the winner isn't also having the best social life and the best, you know, it just is what it is. And I think you'd be, uh, lying to yourself to think that everything could be done, you know? So, so that's real. And I think that you need to really think about, you know, that if, if what timing it is in your life, if, if having a family or getting married or whatever that is, if that's really important, that it's difficult to do all those things really well at once.
0: Yeah to do everything is is almost impossible. I mean especially as an entrepreneur. You you just you simply can't. But even to that point, a lot of times I mean entrepreneurs don't want to because they want to work on this business it is so addicting uh to grow it and to see the growth day by day by day and you're you're in it and you want to just see everything progress and like you said you see the results especially in your business you see Literally, people getting better. I mean, people yeah. improving their health. So it's like you're you're doing something worthwhile in the world, and you've you've actively made that uh, that trade off to do this versus something else.
1: Totally. And you have invested. Like, I, I feel irresponsible if I'm doing anything. If I'm just sitting having a drink at a bar, I'm like, I could be, I should be working. I need to be. You know, like it's just this sense of one, it's, it's what you want to do, and also as you raise money, you have a responsibility to people other than yourself, and you have users and and businesses that we work with now, and so yeah, the burden as it gets bigger is even more, it it gets easier in some ways and and obviously more pressure in a lot of ways too.
0: Right, exactly. And I I think with with, with the drive and ambition and the work you're putting in, Forte is going to be in a very good spot uh, for for a while. And uh, Lauren, where can people go to learn more about Forte and everything you're doing?
1: Yeah, so it's forte.fit instead of .com. So forte.fit is the website and you can email us at concierge at forte.fit if you have any questions or yeah, anything.
0: Awesome. Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen.